Thanks for, for doing that. Well, we're going to be looking at Psalm 121 today, so you can open your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get one in your hands. So you can just raise your hand and uh, one of the ushers will bring you one if you'd like one. We will project the psalm, but it's even better to have the Bible right there. We're continuing our series, Songs for the Journey. We're learning how to live our life as Christians. That really is a journey. To be a believer is to be on a journey. It's to, to live away from your true home and to be making your way there. And these psalms are called Songs of Ascents. They are songs written for the journey. And we need to learn. We need to learn from Scripture how to live on a journey. And these psalms are instructive for us. So today we will look at Psalm 121. We looked at Psalm 120 last week. We learned about how uh, to be a believer is to, to live in the world, to not be at home, to long for our true home and learn how to live in the world uh, along the way for God's glory. And this week we will look at Psalm 121. This is a psalm of confidence, a, a psalm that really speaks of truths that grant us confidence along the journey. They strengthen us for the journey. So this psalm is full of promises from God that, that will strengthen us for our journey as believers. So let's pray and ask God to do just that, to strengthen us with His Word. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for Psalm 121. We thank You for Your Word That your word is not merely a a compilation of thoughts and ideas, but your word is powerful, it's living and active. That you speak to us, you impart life, you impart strength through your word. And so we cry out to you, God, to do that. We cry out, Holy Spirit, to come and dwell here with us. To dwell in each individual, to touch each individual, to be here amongst us, to take the word of God and, and impart life through it, to strengthen us for the journey, as you would want to do, Lord. We know it's your heart. We thank you for your mercy and grace. So use me, Lord, as I seek to serve you and your precious people. Draw our attention to you and your promises, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where... Does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 121. A beautiful song. Actually, I this week was listening to this sung in Hebrew, uh, set to uh, modern guitar and modern arrangement, but but sung through literally. And it was a a beautiful song. I chose not to play it this morning because you guys wouldn't know what they're saying necessarily. But, uh, but this is a song, this is a beautiful song uh, that is to function for us as a way to be strengthened for our journey. In this psalm are uh, wonderful truths about God. What we learn in this psalm is that God is our help. 
He's a God who helps us. He's a God who helps us uh, in a way that flows from His being, flows from His infinite and good being. He's a God who helps us uh, ever diligently, who helps us tirelessly, who protects us, and who helps us forever. This psalm speaks of our wonderful help in the Lord. And, and the, the intent, I believe, of this psalm is to strengthen us, to give us confidence, to strengthen our lives, to, to help us on the journey that we might live in light of the fact that God is with us and God helps us. He keeps us. He protects us. He's there at every moment. We're called to live by this truth along our journey. So I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about the fact that first we need help. Uh, I think the psalm is not going to help you unless you recognize you need help. So we're going to spend some time talking about that reality, that we need help. We're going to talk about how God helps us from this psalm. And then as we go along, we're going to think about how to walk that out. So first off, we need help. You need help. I need help. We really need help. We really need help. And, and we need to ask ourselves, how much are we aware of, of just how much we need help? I think part of the problem for us in life is that we go through life not thinking we need help when we desperately need help. So let's just kind of unpack that a little bit, the reality of us needing help. First off, we are limited beings. We are limited beings. We are not God. Um, that... that may seem kind of silly to say, but I think we live life functionally thinking we are. Functionally thinking we are in control and we can somehow control circumstances. We can somehow control our lives and we can't. We are limited beings. We are entirely dependent on God. Every beat of your heart, every thought in your mind, every movement of your muscles is a gift from a God who graciously supervises all things. Every one of these things is a miracle. You are a moving, living, breathing miracle of God's grace at every moment. You may not be aware of that. But there's so much that's involved in all these things. These simple physical things like heart beating and thinking and moving. Are you aware right now of just how much is going on as you sit here and listen to a message? How much that is just going on in your own body, in your own life? There are in your body about a thousand times as many atoms in you as there are stars in the universe. Ten to the 26, I think is the number, of atoms in, your, in you, roughly speaking. I didn't count uh, specifically, but that's roughly. Ten to the 26 atoms in your body. And each one of those atoms is, is, there's all sorts of stuff going on in the center and of that atom and stuff flying around. Each little atom itself, in some ways, is its own universe. And, and in you are, are a thousand times more than the stars in the universe, atoms at work interacting in such a way that you don't explode spontaneously. That you continue to breathe and exist. And you're not, usually I'm not, aware of that the complexity of just that. You are also comprised of 100 trillion cells in your body. 100 trillion cells. That's a lot of cells. For those who are not mathematically inclined, a lot of cells. 10 to the 12th, 
100 times 10 to the 12th cells. And each one of those cells is a, a, a really a giant factory of biological life, taking in nutrients, taking in oxygen, replicating itself, multiplying, uh, dealing with uh, cell waste, and, and, and doing its thing. And there are 100 trillion of those in your body, all doing their stuff right now. That's a lot. So, that, so atoms, cells, your brain. You're sitting there processing things. You have a, around 100 billion brain cells. 100 billion brain cells. Some of us have less than others. Speaking of myself. <laughs> I was thinking of myself, so don't, so don't worry. I, I damaged some of my brain cells throughout my life. And I think they're getting damaged as I get older, too. 100 billion brain cells. Each one processing uh, 1 to 10,000 signals per millisecond. So that's a lot. Again, it's uh, 10,000. That's a big number every thousandth of a second. So if you put it all together, the amount of brain cells, the amount of processing signals, it's, it's, we talk about computers. You know, you have like a 3, a three megahertz computer, right? Is that usually kind of the ballpark? Gigahertz? Is it gigahertz now? Um, your, your brain is, uh, is a million megahertz processing machine that's going on. So there's your brain right now. You're not aware of it maybe because actually our brain processes the things that it processes. Only 99% of the stuff that comes in gets tossed out by our conscious mind. Only 1% of, our, of the thoughts and signals and stuff uh, of the conscious side are even dealt with. So we're throwing out most of the information. But you're sitting right there and your brain is doing all this stuff, processing things, thinking through things. Amazing complexity just for you to exist moment by moment. And God is the one who's sustaining all of that. You are a limited being. You have control on almost none of that. None of it. We think we have control in our lives. We don't. All that stuff, the the huge numbers of stuff going on inside of you, you have no control over and, 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 the, and the complexity of you and your existence is, is just stunning when you think about it. And you are sustained by God. You need help with all that stuff. And you get help every moment, every day, without even realizing it. Multiply that complexity times other relationships. There's a complexity of your own life. There's a complexity of your situations in life. All the things that are going on all the different variables, all the things that can happen at any given moment, all the relationships that you are interconnected with, and, and it's just, it, it's mind-boggling, it's actually beyond comprehension to understand just how little you have control of and how desperately you need help. That's just with our limited being. And then you add to that the reality that not only are we limited, but we are spiritually broken. It's, it's des- our, our need for help is desperate enough just in our limitations, just in how little we can control, how very little we can do. But then add into that the, the reality that we are broken, the, the truth that, that humanity is born with this sad and insane disposition to reject the Creator. The one who's made us, who, who governs all this complexity and beauty, we are, have this natural disposition to say, no, not you. I want to run my own life. This insane idea that somehow we can run our lives and that we don't need God and, and we reject him. So there's a brokenness that that rejection of God is called sin. And that disposition is our sinful nature. 
And that's in us. We're broken. We're separating ourselves from the Creator, the only one who sustains us, the only one who can truly help us. And, and, and we're broken, and it affects how we look at God, how we look at ourselves, how we relate to one another. We are a mess. We're this complex, extremely complex mess. And sin enters into it and twists it all up and makes it even messier. We are a mess. And it is really ridiculous to assert that somehow we've got things under control. You don't ever have things under control. As I thought about this, I thought of uh, something in my basement. Uh, that is a picture. You can show the picture. Um, is that up there? There it is. Down in my basement <laughs> is a horrible, distressing sight. This thing started out as a few carefully wrapped electrical cords together in a box. Somehow, over time, they came unwrapped, and as we've added more in there, they've, they've wrapped themselves together. And I have uh, repeatedly attempted to untangle this thing. I can't even get a single component out of this without cutting something. It's a growing mass of tangled wires in our basement. It, it is hopelessly tangled. It's full of uh, old computer cords and, and audio cords and some string and all sorts of stuff. You can come by my house and I will show it to you. It's in the basement. <laughs> is it, there's just nothing we can do with this thing. And at this point, actually, what I'm thinking is we should sell it as modern art to, to, <laughs> to go on a display somewhere. And what it would say underneath is, this is your life. This is your life. For when we really think about it, our lives are complex. And you can, feel, you can feel this way sometimes. I think when we feel that way, we're actually just getting in touch with reality, with what's going on. The complexity, the tangledness at times. The situations that are out of our control, like tangled knots together. We need help. We need help that works. We desperately need help. And wonderfully, we have help in God. We have this psalm, Psalm 121, that comes to those who recognize they need help. Who, who, it comes to us to speak to us about this help that is real help, that makes a difference. And so the psalmist starts out asking the question, where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? He's, he's thinking about the fact that he needs help. It, it says in, in verse 1, actually, he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Some people have wondered why it includes lifting eyes to the hills. How does lifting up your eyes to the hills lead you to think about uh, the question of where does my help come from? Uh, there's different ideas on that. My best understanding is uh, in the Psalms, when, when it speaks of hills and mountains, it's largely, almost entirely positive. Uh, so it isn't that this person is looking at the mountains and thinking those are scary mountains and I need help or, or there's something bad about these mountains. But instead, I believe the, the psalmist is looking at the mountains and seeing the majesty of the mountains. They're on the journey, right? This is, these are songs for the journey. If you're going to journey to or from Jerusalem, you're going to see mountains. Jerusalem itself is on a mountain. It's surrounded by mountains. Mountains uh, line the skyline. So you're going to see mountains there. So the, the pilgrim who's on the journey is looking up and looking at the hills and seeing the mountains and thinking about how the mountains show majesty and power and then asking the question, 
Where does my help come from? My help it comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I look at these great mountains and I see majesty. My help comes from the one who made these mountains. My help comes from something greater than the greatest thing in geography I see right now. It comes from the Lord who made all things. He made the heavens and the earth. He made these great mountains. He is the creator himself. He is the one who created me in all this complexity. He's the one who's powerfully made all things and rules over all things. He is the creator. And my help comes from him, the ultimate source of the ultimate source, ultimate authority on life. The one who's made all things, who's made me, who rules them all. He is the one who helps me. Think about if you're, we're using Facebook. And some of us don't have to think much because we are. You don't have to imagine that. You are using Facebook. And imagine you're using Facebook and you're having trouble. Someone maybe hacks into your, has hacked into your account or you don't know how to change those privacy and application settings on the right-hand side. You have to go down and you can't figure out how to do it and you're frustrated. You want to change something. Anyone relate to that? Facebook? Yeah. Some of us have Facebook. And imagine you're just like, you don't know what to do. But Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, happens to live next door and you're friends with him. And you can go over there and sit down with Mark and say, hey, Mark, I, I can't figure out how to find the application privacy settings on this thing. Would you have some confidence that your problem's going to get taken care of with Facebook? Yes, you'd be very confident it would be taken care of and no problem. That's how it is with the Lord. The Lord has made all things. The Lord knows all all things. He knows the complexity of your life. He knows the biological complexity. He knows the relational complexity. He knows about your sin. He's provided for your sin. He knows about all your circumstances. He, he knows the code, so to speak, inside and out. He knows which wire to pull on. He knows how they're tangled. He knows how to untangle it. He knows all these things. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And He is the one who helps you. So we should be confident in him of getting the help we need. It also says here that his, his name is the Lord. And we talked about this last week. He said, it says in the psalm, my help comes from the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And we learned how this is shorthand for the name of God in, in the Old Testament that's used, which is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, previously pronounced Jehovah, but more correctly, Yahweh. And this is the name that God used to describe himself. God doesn't need a name, by the way. Uh, we need names because we get described by God, but God has always existed. He, he needn't give himself a name. He's always existed. He's always will be. He is the ultimate reality. And actually, that's what the name means. Yahweh, I am. I am the ultimate reality. And he says that to communicate his being to us. He says that to communicate who he is, that he is the one who is the ultimate reality. And he also gives it, he gave that name to Moses to take to the people. Which people? Which people did receive that name, Yahweh, I am the ultimate reality? The people, yeah, the Israelites, the Israelites who are God's people. That name was for them, for his covenant people. So that name communicates two things, both the fact that he is eternally existent, he is the ultimate reality, and that he is our God. He's the God who always exists and he's our God. That goes together in that name. So when, when the psalmist says, I, 
My help comes from the Lord. That's what he's saying. But my help comes from the Creator who made all things, who is the ultimate reality, has always existed, exists now, will always exist, and is my God, my God, my covenantal God. I am a covenant. I am in relationship with this God. He has initiated this relationship and pledged himself to it. I belong to him. And that is the one who brings me help. We know that the fulfillment, the full expression of this truth of Yahweh and help comes in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh. He is the ultimate one who who is the revelation of both this fact that He is the eternally existent, the all-powerful one, and our, our God, our covenantal God, our God of covenantal love. Those things are fully expressed in Christ. He First, He took His ultimate power and the prerogative of that laid it aside, became a man, lived a humble, poor life, served others, loved others, fulfilled the law of God and all that He did, loved the Lord he with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength loved others as himself. And then he went to the cross. He didn't have to die. didn't deserve to die. He had, he had fulfilled all things, and yet he bore the sins of his people on himself. He paid for our sins to make atonement, to pay the just penalty, to express and confirm his covenantal love for us. The extent of God's love is to send His only Son for us. And then in mighty power, He was raised on the third day, victorious over sin and death. He reigns until He puts all enemies under His feet, then He returns and finishes it. And in that we see the fulfillment of the name Yahweh, the one who has always existed, who's powerful, laid the power aside, lived out for the love of His people, was raised in power, rules in power, returns in power. That's the God who helps us, Yahweh, the Lord. And the psalm says that more about him, that he, he is the creator, the one who made heaven and earth. He, he is the Lord. And it says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He will not let your foot be moved. And the idea there. Uh, Poetically putting it, he will not let your foot slip. He will establish your footsteps. That's speaking of the detail with which he's involved in your life. It speaks of the detail with which he cares about your life. I've had conversations with people over time who, who were, were theists, uh, were Christians, uh, you know, proclaimed, self-proclaimed Christians. I, I don't doubt that they were. I don't mean it that way, but they... they communicated to me as believers, but then said things like, well, God really doesn't care about the details. I mean, he's got bigger things to worry about than whether I get this job or, you know, whether my kid gets better from the sickness or things like that. That's not what Psalm 121 says. Psalm 121 says he cares about the details. He will not let your foot be moved. Every single step of your life, he watches over, he guards, he keeps you through. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not let your, you, you make a misstep to take a step that, that is not in His plan. He is there every single step of the way and He never slumbers or sleeps. He never fades off. He never falls asleep. I can fall asleep really easily. One of the easiest ways for me to fall asleep is to start praying sitting down. 
Uh, it's almost like taking a sleeping pill, uh, and I have to be careful. There are times when uh, I have I've been in my office, and I usually I walk around to pray. So if you ever come in here uh, when something's not going on and I'm not in my office, uh, you'll see me walk around. I don't mean to scare you. Sometimes I think, you know, they probably think I'm really weird out here walking around praying. But I do because I, I can pray and not fall asleep. But if I sit in my chair, I can. And there's been times when I've been sitting there praying, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, it's like a half hour later, and I'm like, where, where am I? I'm not in my bed. I'm in my office. How did I get here? Um, so I slumber. I sleep. I think we all, we all sleep. We must sleep. The, the truth in this psalm, the truth about God is he never slumbers. He will not slumber. He will not sleep. He's ever diligent. He's ever on the job. He's not, he's not like one of the air traffic controllers we hear about. Um, and by the way, I, we have an air traffic controller in our midst, uh, and so I, I want us to understand it's a very difficult job. They do all sorts of weird shifts, and they need to sleep. And so some of the controversy is because of misunderstanding. But we've heard about them falling asleep on the job. And actually, that's a job that's very complex, if you know about it. Uh, oh, is Jeff here today? Jeff is our air There he is. Our resident air traffic controller. Yeah. Yeah. It's, wake up, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, we, we tease Jeff a little bit. Uh, but it's a very complex job, actually. There's, it's a crazy job. It's, it's, um, you guys ever play that game Missile Command when you were young? You were a little older, or I know it's still out there. And the missiles come in, and you have to put little things to blow the missiles up. That's what it, being an air traffic controller is kind of like in busy things. You're, you're having to control all these things happening at once, and, you, and you've got lives at stake. And they, they do an excellent job. They, to be an air traffic controller, you go through a lot of training, very qualified. It's very complex. And they do a good job, but we know some of them have fallen asleep, and maybe that's because the rules aren't right for how they take their naps and need to change that. But God's not like that. God is way better than an air traffic controller in guarding every single thing that goes on in your life, and He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's always on the job, even when you're not. He is there. He never slumbers nor sleeps. That is the promise of God. That's the declaration of this psalm, that your God, the one who brings you help, never slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over every single step you take. Every single detail of your life is under His watch, under His care. It goes on and says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The, Lord, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord is your keeper. He is your shade on your right hand. And it was wonderful to hear through our time of worship I believe God highlighting these truths uh, and preparing us to hear from His Word. The Lord is your keeper. He's the shade on your right hand. He not, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. This word keep or keeper is, is similar to the word guard. We could use the word guard. That God, God guards us. He keeps us. He's our keeper. He's our watchman. He's our guard. He's always there keeping us taking care of us, watching over us, being like a shepherd, a diligent shepherd, being like a, a loving mother over a toddler. He's there caring and guiding and providing and watching every step of the way. He, he knows everything that's going on. He keeps us. He guards us. I think of the Secret Service men who guard the president, and you know their diligence. And if you look into the amount of training they need and, and what they have to do on any given day, uh, they have to actually think through all the things the president's doing and all the scenarios that are there. And they have to have contingency plans for everything. 
They have to think through everything. And, and because of the history of what, what's gone on, too, even when they've been very diligent, there have been assassination attempts and successes, sad to say. Their, their, their level of expertise and diligence is even higher nowadays than it's ever been. These guys guard the president. They keep the president. They watch over the president. They protect him. And if needed, they'll throw their bodies in the way to prevent him from being harmed. We know when President Reagan was shot, the, uh, one, of the, one of the Secret Service men actually threw himself in front of the president and was shot. Uh, he survived, but he gave his life. He, he was guarding the president. Our God guards us. He keeps us way better than the Secret Service could ever keep the president. We need help. There are pretty much infinite amount of things going on in and around our lives. And God guards each one of them. This psalm uses the word keep or keeper six times in this psalm. And there's, and there's one word for it. In English, keep and keeper, it's the same. In Hebrew, it's the same. It's a, it's a, it's a verb and noun form, the same. And the, the psalm, the song, if you, if you were a Hebrew listening to this song, it would, would this, this word keep and keeper would resonate throughout the song as you listen to it. God is keeper. God will keep you. He's your keeper. He's the keeper of Israel. He's our keeper. God keeps His people just as He keeps His people corporately and cares about His people corporately. He's the keeper of Israel. He watches over His entire people. He also watches over the individual. Those two are married together in this psalm, by the way, a wonderful marrying of the truth of the corporate and the individual. God cares about both. He keeps this church. He keeps us as individuals as well. He keeps His entire church. He keeps individual believers. He, he watches over us. He keeps us. He guards us. The, shade on your, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord watches over us as we journey in the daytime and the nighttime, as we walk through life and the trials and, and struggles of life, as we deal with things in the night and things we may be afraid of. God is there. He's the shade. He keeps us. He, he keeps the sun from striking us by day. Now, the word strike is probably it's a good word to use there. Some translations say the old one smite. Uh, and maybe a better word is destroy. Uh, it's not that God doesn't make the sun not shine on us or the sun not hit us in any way or the moon not hit us. He keeps it from hitting us in such a way that it destroys us. That's the sense. He's our shade. He's our refuge. He's the one who shelters us from the difficulties that would overwhelm us. He determines those things. He protects us. He's our shade. He keeps us. He does the very best for us. He keeps control of all these things. He manages the care that we need. His to-do list for us actually gets done every day. My to-do list seems to grow every day. My to-do list... uh, my to-do list for my job as a pastor and as a husband and father, uh, it, it just seems to grow. And sometimes I just have to eventually say, oh, I'll just forget those things on the bottom. We'll just never do those because it gets so, so overwhelming. God never does that. God gets his to-do list done. He cares for us. He keeps us in everything. And he does it in such a way to work the very best for us. He shades us. He shelters us to do the very best for us. Romans 8.28, 
is a verse in the New Testament that echoes this truth. It says in 828, and we can project this, I believe, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. This verse is a wonderful promise in line with Psalm 121, that God works all things for good. He works all things in our life together for good. He keeps us, He manages our lives in such a way as to work all things for our good. It doesn't say most things. It doesn't say some things. It says It doesn't just say things, it says all things. God works all things. This is in line with Psalm 121, the Lord who keeps us in all things. Six times repeated, He keeps us, He keeps us, He keeps us. He maximizes our good, is what Romans 8 teaches us. And as we go through this psalm, and you look at it, you might might think, you know, this is just a a psalm that's just, you know, it's a fanciful platitude. It's just, you know, it's these nice things about God. But it's not reality. Because if I look at my life, I don't see God keeping me. I don't see life being sheltered. I see trials. I see difficulty. I see that life stinks at times. This psalm is not given as a platitude like that. The psalmist, the psalmist didn't, you know, forget the rest of Scripture. Like, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to come up with this this psalm that, that says that God keeps us from any sort of thing ever happening, and I'm going to put it in Scripture, and people will like it. No, this psalmist knew Scripture, and, and God in His sovereignty, uh, we don't know if it's the same psalmist as Psalm 120, but right before this psalm is a psalm of where the psalmist says what? Woe to me! In other words, I'm doomed. Life stinks. Life is hard. It's understood that these promises of God keeping us and sheltering us and shading us is in the context of trials in life that happen to us. This is not a promise that God will give you a six-digit income, a spouse that is beautiful and perfectly loving of you in every way and laughs at your jokes and always wants to be with you. It's not a promise to, to give you kids that will, that will qualify to write another chapter of the book of Proverbs because they're so great. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a promise to have a life full of bliss and success. But it is a promise that He will keep you and orchestrate your life and lead you and use all things for your good, according to Romans 8. Life can be hard at times. Life can be very difficult at times. Circumstances can be hard at times. And I know for you guys that, that there are difficult circumstances you're going through. You are going to go through them sooner or later. Some of you are going through difficult circumstances. And, and this psalm might feel like a platitude. It might just feel like nice, fluffy, Pollyannish things, nice things to say that are just not true. That's not how it's meant to function. This is a solid promise. This psalm is to be a, stand as a promise from God that He makes to you. And it's to be understood how it works. It is to function in your life, even in difficulty. And, and I know you guys have seen it. Life can be really crazy sometimes, really difficult. And, and, and it's, it will be difficult for us. And if we love others, life's going to be difficult because others are going to go through difficulty. And if we care about them, be they Christian or not Christian, and we certainly should be loving all that way. Our lives should be so intertwined with the body and with our community, loving our neighbors, that we feel the difficulty they feel.
as a pastor, that's a lot of what, I, what it's about, what I go through. And it's been difficult. Uh, many of you know the Rafteries and what they're going through. They are a family just going through tremendous difficulty. Family, financial, health, and legal trials for them have all come crashing down at the same time. It's, it's, like, it's like Job and his troubles. And, and many of the things they're going through are, are such that, that, there's no, that there's, there's no ability to control them or remedy them. And, and, and some, for many of us, we feel like Job's friends. Just that we just sit silently with them and mourn and pray with them. Thank you, by the way, to the many that are doing that and are also doing other things to offer help, bringing meals and such. Please keep them in your prayers. Please keep doing what we can. But there's an aspect of this that life is just hard for them, and we can't. We don't have the solution in and of ourselves. The Lord alone is their help. And they're going through this difficult season, and the reality is we could be next. At some point, we could be next ourselves. Psalm 121 is written for the rafters. Psalm 121 is written for you and for me. It understands that life can be hard. It understands that, that, that there are difficulties. The time that the sun does strike us, and at times it affects our lives, that there are trials. There are times where we don't feel like the Lord keeps us. There are times where it seems that our feet have slipped. And it's a promise from God that even in those things, He is over them. It's a declaration in the context of Scripture that our God is good and sovereign and over these things. He rules all things. He rules even over trials and evil. And we know, we know He understands that. And we know He knows what it is to live it out because Christ Himself lived in trials, and stood on the promises of Psalm 121 and others. We know that he went through horrendous trials. And as horrible as trials can be for you and for me and our friends and our loved ones, they will never ever compare to the trial that Jesus Christ went through. God himself understands. He rules over trials. He uses trials and he did that in his son. God the son. God the father with God the son and the Holy Spirit together before time determined that things would be such that the son would have to go and suffer. And suffer on the cross. And suffer in bearing your sin. To, to go through the worst trial anyone could, could ever, would ever go through. Beyond compare. He voluntarily took on himself the infinite horror and evil and the suffering that comes with it of the sins of his people. He took our sins, took the sins of the world on himself. He, he, He bore in himself, he himself who knew no sin became sin on the cross. And, and, and he somehow identified with that sin in a substantial way. Uh, in, in, in that verse in first, uh, Second Corinthians, where it says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, it, it, that communication, that, that way it's phrased, is not saying like he just kind of had a backpack 
on his back and he just took your sins and threw them in the backpack and your sins and, and yes there would be billions and billions of horrible sins and it would be really nasty to have a backpack full of such horrible things this is the holy son of God who's known God from eternity and never had anything to do with sin and just to have it in his backpack would be enough but there's more to it than that that's not what it means when he it says he who knew no sin became sin there was an identification with that sin that was beyond having it in the backpack in a sense I don't understand it but in a sense it infiltrated his being and he experienced sin in some way and just the thought of that is horrendous because he experienced your sin in a substantial way all of them multiplied times billions holy God experiencing sin as he became sin for us and it didn't end there. That was awful enough. And that, that is just spiritual agony beyond understanding. But then the Father in His holy justice, His determined and righteous wrath, poured out punishment on Jesus for your sins. And He bore that punishment, the fullness of it. He drank the cup to the very bottom of that cup of God's just wrath. He drank it to the bottom. He took the whole thing. He took the entirety of suffering deserved for sin on Himself. And, and we can't understand in, in how that would happen in those moments of the cross. These are things of, of infinite meaning happening on the cross. He is suffering in moments what would take an eternity to experience for you or for me. And He bore the sins and paid for them and died. And yet he put his hope in the Lord. He put his trust in the Lord. He knew that even through this, that his God would keep him. As he looked to him, as he trusted him, that his God would keep him, that his God was ruling over even this difficult circumstance. And that as he looked to the Lord, there was another side. There was a resurrection awaiting him on the other side. And we know what happened. He was raised from the dead on the third day, victorious over sin and death. He went through the horror of the cross to get to the resurrection. And now for us, our trials and our suffering totally transformed. We'll never compare to His. Now, because He did this, He can make promises to us to love us and to orchestrate our lives and to work the ultimate good in our lives. To use trials and difficulties as mysterious as they seem, as far as trying to understand how they work good in our lives. He has, he, ha, he has now, through Christ, in our lives, promised to use all things for our good, to orchestrate all things for our good. It doesn't mean the things themselves are pleasant, by the way. That verse isn't saying He makes all things good. He uses all things for good. He uses evil and suffering and hardship for good. And so when Psalm 121 makes us this promise, it's making us this promise in light of the entirety of Scripture, in light of this truth, that God keeps us, that He shades us, that He protects us, He walks with us in and through trials, and in and through the good times as well. He's in all of them. He keeps you. That's confidence for the journey, isn't it? It's confidence to know that in the trial, it feels horrible right now, but God keeps me. God is with me. And the psalmist finishes this psalm 
saying the Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That His promise to keep us is from, from all evil, destroying us. He keeps our soul. He keeps us, our going out and our coming in and all the, in, the back and forth of life, the daily routine, all these things, everything, from this time forth and forevermore. That God's promise to us is to keep us forevermore. This promise is not like one of those gift certificates that you get that when you read the fine print it says expires December 31st, 2011 uh, and you better use it by then. This gift certificate has no expiration dates. It's good for you in 2011. It's good for you in 2012. It's good for you in 4,012. It's good for you in 4,012. This time forth and forevermore, God will keep you. God will care for you. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 10. We have this to project. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. If you have turned from your sin and your self-reliance, turned from this, this insane idea that somehow you can manage your life on your own terms, when you've, if you've recognized that that is sin against a good and holy God, and you've turned, repented, and you're putting your faith in Christ, this promise is for you, for all of us who have recognized, simply recognize our helplessness and the help that God offers. And the promise is that you are in the hand of God Himself, and no one is able to snatch you out, not even yourself. No one, no one is able. There's no qualifier there. Well, you can do it if you mess up bad enough. It doesn't say that. No one, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. He is greater than all. He's greater than you. He's greater than all. He holds you. He keeps you. And you have eternal life if you've trusted Him. It's not partially eternal life or conditional eternal life or just some sort of life, it is guaranteed eternal life in Christ. From this time forth and forevermore. If the band could come up as we close. Psalm 121 is a wonderful psalm for us. Because we need help. We need help. We need help every moment. We need help every day. We need help all along. We need help for our trials. We need help in our good times too. That, that's the problem, right? In our good times we think, well, I'm doing okay. I don't need help. No, you need a lot of help all the time. We need help. And this psalm tells us that God is our help. A God who, who is the creator, who's infinite in his power and good. He is our help. He brings us help that never fails, ever diligent, tireless. He guards us in all circumstances. He works out good for us. And He helps us now and forever.
God wants us to live by Psalm 121. To let the truths soak into our lives, affect us, that God Himself helps us in all things, and to live by this truth. Let's pray and ask God to do just that in our lives. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your promise. And I pray, we pray right now, God, would You help us to to be changed by these promises from You. That we would look at life differently. We would look at how we live and how we deal with things. We would look at how we relate to others and their difficulty in light of this truth. That we would live by Your words. And You would... You would use us, we would be strengthened in you for the journey, and you'd use us as well to give strength to others, those who know you, to remind them, those who don't know you, to hold out the invitation to find true help. Use us in this, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.